Good morning, friends. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm not going to say very much, uh, just a few things that I think are important about bringing this practice, uh, bringing what we've realized uh, over the course of this week in our practice and uh, continuing to practice in our daily lives. And, of course, it's really important to establish a daily practice and what that what that is uh, for you, I think, is for you to discern and for you to explore. But it's, um, it's a gift that we give to ourselves um, out of love. So, so it, it's, it's helpful not to think of it as something on your to-do list, but rather um, a way that you care for yourself because you love yourself. Um, it's, uh, certainly when I began to make that shift, it, um, it, it really, it drew me to the cushion or, you know, uh, well, the chair, <laughs> I've, I've left the cushion behind, um, but, um, <clears throat> but, it, you know, it, it's helpful to have a place in your home where you are, <clears throat> where you are drawn to, excuse me, <clears throat> uh, where, which is evocative, which uh, gives your heart joy. You know, it has a an image or a candle or something that um, uh, just uh, you connect with. Uh, it opens the heart. It it's a kind of a pointer toward sacred time, sacred space. Um, this whole, uh, yeah, but uh, uh, what I was starting to say, yeah, is, is, is it's great to have a place like that helpful. Sometimes people don't have a space to make a separate room. It could be a corner of a room. Um, or... And you don't always have to use that. You could sit on uh, in the garden or or in a park. Um, sometimes, you know, if if that feels more supportive to you at a particular time, sometimes um, being in nature <clears throat> is so helpful. And doing walking meditation. Mm, I remember just now. I remember I said that I would. Uh, give instructions for a walking meditation that's, that's um, helpful to bring into daily life. And so it's, um, <clears throat> it's a way that we kind of move our attention into different senses, and the fact that we're focusing in different ways helps to, uh, helps the attention to stay connected um, because in walking, we tend to, the mind tends to drift. And t- we tend to think about what we're doing, uh, where we're going, uh, what we need to do, and so on. Um, so, 
so this is um, beginning by, and, and, and you could rotate this in whatever way you like. It could be, um, you know, for about 20 or 30 seconds, or it could be a number of steps um, or, or a length, like a block. So, so just, but just rotating through, first of all, feeling the feet on the ground, feet on the earth, uh, kissing the earth, even if the earth is covered by sidewalk, uh, she's still there, and kissing the earth with each step. Um, just really feeling that connection to the earth. Uh, and then the second one is to feel the whole body moving. So just a, a whole body experience of the body moving through space. And then, um, and then sound, just opening to hearing sounds. Um, and, and letting sound be s simply sound, you know, that the mind will, perception will arise and will label a car or a horn or a baby crying. But just um, there's a way in which we can not, like when we, when we perceive, the mind tends to just skirt off the sensory experience. So if you hear a car, you know, there's just that the mind doesn't, penetrate into the experience of the vibration of that sound. So, so letting the mind um, really hear, letting the hearing consciousness hear, uh, and, um, and, and then, you know, noticing how the sound comes and goes. And, um, and then seeing. So again, even more so with our sight, we uh, we label perceptions. Um, so so uh, exploring being um, not so kind of superficial in the way that we see, but to really allow seeing to happen, um, seeing color, light and dark, form, uh, movement, and so on. So walking on the ground, the whole body moving, hearing, seeing, and cycling through that. Um, it's, you know, and for 10 minutes or whatever, you could make that uh, a practice that you do in daily life. I think for me, the most important practice that I do every day is the practice of remembering love um, and bringing that love to this being, this heart, this tender heart, um, and, uh, and I'm reminded to do it when the voice in the mind, uh, the the doubting voice or the dismissive voice or the corrective voice comes in and um, and and so that reminds me hearing that voice in my head which is diminishing me uh, that internalized voice 
Um, and then I, I just turn to the heart with love. And, uh, and I, think, I think this has been, uh, for me, the most powerful practice um, as my practice has developed to really uh, remember to love this tender heart. Uh, so it's actually the tender heart loving itself or just loving, um, allowing that love to be felt and known in the whole being. And, um, <clears throat> and if you uh, want to do this practice, you know, sometimes even just saying the words, I love myself, I love my whole being. Um, that was an instruction that uh, a friend of mine got from a Sri Lankan monk who was his teacher. <clears throat> so there, it comes from something, someone authoritative, not just Errol. And um, uh, yeah, so just to, to turn to the heart with love and, and remind ourselves that we're worthy of love, we're good, uh, our hearts are good, and um, and and that love I find uh, has helped me a lot to to be loving, and uh, and so it's it's <clears throat> so much <clears throat> so much a part of um, how we are made that. Uh, when we judge ourselves, we judge others. When we, when we love ourselves, we love others. Uh, when we're compassionate to ourselves, we're compassionate to others. So I'd like to um, just uh, open up for any questions that you may have or comments or sh sharing about there will be a sharing in terms of uh, in our closing time at um, just before lunch to, to talk about uh, you know anything that you'd want to share uh, uh, about your your experience this week. Um, so, and I'll give specific instructions for that at the time. Uh, but now it's it's more like. Um, you know, is something coming up? Are you, are you uh, thinking about a situation or, or, or anything at all about ongoing practice? So please uh, feel free to just raise your hand or just start speaking. The more you want to be here in the retreat or sitting with wisdom. Yeah, I, that's that is so true. It's uh, uh, it's you know, as a gift, I, I I really do feel that because I love myself, I want to give myself this opportunity to be present with myself. Yeah. Ignore it, or is it always still sort of at the same level? But 
No, yeah, it I, it does it does diminish. I, it, and it's we we can we can change our minds. Um, we can, you know, where the attention goes, the energy flows, and um, and so I, I think that this loving ourselves, you know, the turning, offering metta, is is really a remedy. Um, it's an antidote for that kind of uh, self judgment, self criticism. Um, but it's not just it's not that it's just the constant blah 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 mm-hmm. blah. Like I can't say it's been judgmental lately, but it just doesn't stop. Um, obviously, when you truth, you notice it way more. Yeah, and, uh, it's just commenting on everything and catching your attention and pulling you out of this moment over and over and over, and it knows what I find um, interesting, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, bringing bringing the attention back to the senses is helpful. Um, and also just not getting caught up in um, engaging the narrative, engaging the, you know, like, in, in that way, I, I mentioned in the group yesterday uh, at 1130 that I don't usually teach labeling because um, it does draw us away from um, our, our direct experience. But but sometimes when there's a when there's a, a kind of a a drivenness in the thinking, like to notice that, you know, this is this is aversion or this is grasping, you know, um, and yes, but but not to use it as a a kind of a a tennis racket to bat it away, but to um, just open to what's happening in the body. I, coming back to the body is is just really um, it's 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 the practice for so uh, in in so many ways. It's it's the it's a the foundational practice to to be in the body because the body is quiet <laughs> and um, and so yeah like just even making a practice of of keeping your attention you know in the belly you know in the hara or in the heart um, just bringing your attention lower into the body I think is uh, really helpful I I found it helpful I don't find that. I do. I wouldn't say the mind is silent, but the mind is certainly a lot quieter than it used to be. And um, and I, I just, you know, I'm just personally, I'm just not as hooked. I think, and I think that's true. That as practice goes on, we're just the thoughts are there, uh, but it's it's um, not as compelling. Like we, because I think that when we really, you know, after after years of watching the thoughts and recognizing how banal most of them are. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
boring. <laughs> it's like, really? Uh, yeah, I, I remember being on retreat. Somebody mentioned this recently in one of the groups. Uh, I remember being on one of my early retreats and, and mine was planning and planning and planning and planning and planning. And, and it was very similar to what this person said, you know, and I, would, I said, okay, I've planned it. <laughs> I've planned it. It's fine. <laughs> and it still would go on planning. And, and, and it's the drivenness underneath um, that, uh, you know, the anxiety or, or uh, fear, lack of confidence, um, all of these things. Yeah. My mind is playing TV shows. Mm-hmm. It's catching me with some of my favorite TV shows and showing me all the flaws in these in the plot lines. And that was so interesting. <laughs> but it wasn't being mindful. It was, yeah, it was getting caught up in in uh yeah, being the TV critic. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about like investigation versus getting caught up? Yeah. So uh, investigation um is you know i i talked very very briefly about the rain uh practice um probably many of you have heard of it it's a it's a an acronym that uh michelle mcdonald uh created or thought of uh to remind us that we recognize something, so we recognize something coming up in the mind, uh, and we accept it. So the acceptance is uh, allowing, allowing it to come in, the welcoming it, as uh, in the guest house um, poem, you know, like not slamming the door on it. And then the I is investigation, and the N is non-identify. Uh, so, and it's, it's really investigation happens because we have some space around it. So the, in a way, the non-identifying is in, in, uh, precedes the investigation. Um, we recognize that this is a thought, this is a, a pattern, a habit of the mind. And, and we bring that acceptance, that, that quality of care and and non-judgment uh, to the experience and get curious about how we are holding it in the body. So um, I know that there, that, um, there are also mental parts of the investigation, but first of all, for me and my practice, it's really uh, noticing, you know, where is the body holding it? Uh, is the heart contracted? Is the throat tight? Are the teeth clenched? Are the shoulders raised? And um, 
And then as, as we bring mindfulness and acceptance, so care, acceptance is a, an expression of care, uh, to the experience, um, we stop holding it. So be, the experience stays with us because in a way we're holding onto it with the body and with the mind. Uh, there's a kind of an inner grasping. And, um, and so uh, re- relaxing around it, giving space to it, we can um, allow it to move because everything is of the nature to change. And so, and it does change. Uh, and, and so that's part of the investigation is noticing also how it's impermanent. Um, and, and that it also is liberating when we see that, that it, it actually moves through uh, begins to change, move through, um, maybe not immediately. Sometimes it depends on how deeply we're holding it, how deeply embedded this pattern is. Um, it, might, it might not move through immediately. It might, it might take some time. But what's in, one thing that's really important is as it does move through, to notice the space in which, uh, in which we were um, aware of this uh, afflictive emotion or uh, uh, unskillful thought or whatever it was. And it's uh, like I was speaking about earlier in Right Effort, to when we notice that Part of um, noticing the good, noticing the wholesome, is to notice that the space that is left behind, that it remains, not left behind, but that remains when something that is creating suffering moves through, that that is uh, a wholesome and beautiful quality, just that openness um, that 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 quality of receptivity and 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 awareness. So, so the Buddha said, when you notice that, um, when you when when there's a pattern that you're working with, a habit that you're working with, uh, that you're noticing it's coming up, and you're, you know, as it comes up, you are releasing it. You know, maybe it's grasping around food or or um, aversion, you know, in a relationship. Notice not only when it's there in order to release it, but also notice when it's not there. So, so that kind of speaks to the earlier question about noticing when, you know, like how does the mind stop chattering, you know? And so notice also when the mind is more quiet uh, and that, and, and take joy in that, <laughs> you know, experience, allow yourself to experience the pleasantness of having a mind that is open and receptive and, you know, quiet for a few moments. Um, so that's, that's also part, all part of the investigation, seeing the impermanent nature of it.
seeing how it arises from conditions. Sometimes, sometimes uh, when we are investigating something that's arising, we might notice that there were conditions that, in a way, triggered that reactivity or gave rise to it. And so we can notice also part of the investigation, and this could be in daily life or in, in a sitting, uh, n- noticing what triggered it. And, um, and so we learn from that. So it's, it's getting to know, you know, this mind, which is, which is a changing mind. It's mind, heart, body, all one psychophysical organism. Um, but it's, it's really getting to know uh, how we are, not as a noun, but as a verb, how we are, how we change, how we evolve, because, uh, you know, we're not the same person from day to day. Yeah, and the non-identifying is, I've already addressed it, but it's, uh, it's really um, recognizing that this is a process, that, that I'm not, I'm not, there is some ability to respond, but I'm not really in control of this body or this mind. It's a, it's a happening, like everything else is a happening. Uh, it's, 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 it's just happening. And, and really the locus of control, the locus of, of autonomy is, is coming to the present moment and being aware of what is happening right now. That's the key thing, is having that awareness in the moment. And that enables us to discern what is skillful and what is unskillful in the response. It's so key. No, thank you. Anyone else have anything coming up as a question or something that No, but Buddhism is definitely not it's fatalistic. Yeah. So there are causes and conditions, um, and uh, and they do unfold, uh, and we can reorient our lives in more skillful ways. Um, that's why. I mean, not not to say that the Dharma, the Buddhist Dharma, is the only spiritual path that is liberating. I don't believe that. Um, in the Buddhist teaching, uh, you know that he- hearing the Dharma 
uh, is is considered a, a, a blessing and opportunity and opportunity. It's one of the um, uh, elements of precious human life, uh, uh, blessings and opportunities, and um, and so the Dharma is like something that uh, it's a kind of a medicine that um, deconstructs, helps us to deconstruct a lot of those uh, patterns and habits that drive us on in samsara, you know, in this trajectory of continued suffering, to deconstruct that and... um, and and we reconstruct our lives in in ways that are skillful. That's the de- bhavana. That's the development of the mind, and um, and we you know and all of this is through awareness and application of the teachings. So it's not at all a fatalistic teaching. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't have control in a larger sense of the world around us. And and I just I just want to add you know, something I thought of this morning um, when I was just uh, reflecting on joy and and uh, and you know what. I shared about joy and and so on. Is that I think that this cultivating of joy is really important um, for me, uh, maybe for us uh, in to take in what is joyful, to take in what is beautiful, to take joy and you know, children playing to take joy in uh, the love that we see uh, of a, you know, a grandparent with their child or somebody working in their garden. Just the simple joys around us because we can, you know, with all of the news media and the flooded flooding that we get of doom and gloom, uh, and not to say there's not a lot of suffering uh, and a lot of uh, concerns and dangers and threats. Um, but um, I was listening to an interview. I mean, this is not just something that she has said, but she's an activist, uh, Adrienne Mary Brown. And she's written about the importance of joy and that joy is in a way a... Um, an important uh, element, an important experience to bring into our lives and to share in our lives because it is um, the whole the whole capitalist um, consumer culture is it's really quite joyless you know, because we're never good enough you know, until we've bought the next, you know, model car or, you know, 
buy, bought the right shampoo or whatever it is. Yeah. Question about generosity. As you spoke of, and as Buddhism and some other religions also, I think, describe it, it's more generosity that in terms of love, reaching out when needed, and sensitivity to people and this kind of thing. Uh, however, as you were just saying, we live in a capitalist society, and generosity can also be linked to money. How expensive the gift you buy, or how elaborate is the hospitality you provide. So, did the Buddha ever speak? I always wonder, did he ever speak about people with less money and women? I know he had disciples of all kinds, but does he ever talk about things like that? But some other religions do talk a bit more about social justice issues also. Um, well, I, I, you know, he modeled a life of simplicity, um, and uh, it, it was he was he was supported by the generosity of some of his donors, and not all of them were major donors. They were, you know, uh, he, people would he would he would. Uh, he and the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis would go on their alms rounds and and just take what was offered. So that and that was an important teaching to not to not um, kind of have preferences, but just to take what was offered. Um, uh, he, he did involve himself in in communities, trying to. Um, uh, bring peace to different tribes that were at war with each other. Um, it was it was a different time, I think, and many many people had very little. Uh, I would I would think, um, and you know, it, even even in that story of uh, Gautami and the mustard seed. You know, it, you just see, you know, well, people have lived in the same house for generations. They're not moving around, you know, buying a bigger house all the time and or, you know, it's uh, so. I think, but I think the just the model of simplicity and and. Um, <clears throat> and noticing what what do I need? Um, you know, we're, we are householders, and there's a, a metaphor that's, that's used uh, with, I, I think it was with the Brahma Viharas, um, which is that a trained uh, meditator uh, can... Just just as a king or a prince uh, would choose uh, from a wardrobe of garments what they want to put on, uh, a, so this uh, an accomplished meditator can enter into a um, a state of uh, meta compassion, you know, and so on. Uh, and 
you know, for me, so that was, that's an interesting teaching that we can, uh, as we, as we become more, uh, deeply accomplished and the mind becomes clearer and these, these qualities become more developed within us, we can, uh, by choice, just move into these um, states of of heart. But I also thought, well, it's interesting that only kings and princes can go to a closet and choose a garment, like everybody else has maybe one or two garments that they wear, uh, and that was the the norm. And that so to be able to choose from garments is was extraordinary and and all of us have a closet full of clothes that we choose what we want to wear probably i um and you know in terms of our own lives you know to notice what's driving us as if we have some guests for dinner um are we trying to impress them with uh you know, how lavish uh, the dinner is? Or, you know, can it, would it serve a more uh, intimate and enjoyable gathering to just perhaps serve something simple and, and have more energy just to be with people that you invited? So... set out and kind of create your life, you, you're driven by your desire, what you want, or I am, I know a lot of people are, and well, how wholesome is that? Like, you, so you have a picture of what you want, so, so how, do you, how, how do you go about it? Like, what's your, what's your compass on? Yeah. Well, that's a that's that's a beautiful question. Mm-hmm. The the name of True North is uh, you know finding that Im- inner compass, right? Yeah. Um, to uh, that we be guided by um, you know what is wholesome. So I think that's something that we we mature, as we mature in our practice and our practice deepens, you know, we begin to ask ourselves what is driving us. So, so somebody can be driven by, you know, like a lot of greed to get bigger and more and better, better than everybody else. Um, or can be, you know, more oriented toward offering something helpful um, or, you know, looking for a relationship. Um, It could be to continue to evolve as a human being, to to have support and give support. Um, These are wholesome things. And the Buddha did teach to householders, and he didn't say that to have um, some wealth is in itself bad. You know, he didn't say that everybody should become monks uh, or nuns. Um, you know, like to live 
you know, he really uh, encouraged people living as householders to practice virtue and generosity and uh, to, to be aware of, you know, like right speech, right action, right livelihood, um, you know, following the precepts. And, um, and you know, we, and we do our practice, you know, so it's, um, but I think it's, a, it's an important inquiry to ask, you know, if we're, if we're orienting ourselves towards something or if there's something we want or we don't want, to, to investigate, to bring that investigation into what is the energy that's, that's underneath this, you know. Um, Is that? It still feels like a desire to have something and want to bring in something else. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Desire, you know, like. Um, so, so sense desire is a particular desire. So, sense desire is to be grasping pleasant experiences, sensory experiences. So uh, we do. I mean, you know, the mind does. The mind wants to see pleasant things, the, uh, taste pleasant tastes. And how, you know, and, and so in a way, as non-monastics, we work with a certain amount of desire. Um, you know, if we're in a relationship, there's sexual desire. And, and that can be a wholesome thing to, to uh, deepen a sense of intimacy between people. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the wanting and wanting. Is it a habit? Is it a compulsion? And then wanting, having, having goals in our lives. Um, you know, it, it's... It's something we, we may want, but it may not be desire. It might be, you know, wanting to develop ourselves in a certain way or wanting to contribute something to society, uh, wanting to involve ourselves in some wholesome, you know, or beneficial activity that, or, or even an activity that's necessary, you know, um, like, you know, being, being somebody who, who sells things, you know, so um, that, that in itself is not good or bad if one is ethical and, um, and if it's not something which is, you know, harmful to the body. There were certain livelihoods, the Buddha said, you know, are not wholesome, like selling weapons. Um, so, yeah, but, but I think as, as people living in the world... Um, we have uh, desires, aspirations, um, goals, and um, and also uh, these things don't always work out the way we want them, and so uh, we want them to, and so then that's also. Uh, a sphere for practice that, you know, equanimity and um, 
uh, acceptance to the things, you know, are as they are. Matt Flickstein had this um, uh, this quest, this statement that he would often make to people. Um, uh, he would say, you know, because you know people would start practice and, and they would want to know, you know, well, you know, should I should I change my whole life? Should I? And and. Um, and he and he would say, "I know the perfect life, the perfect way of life for you to practice." And what? What? Tell me! Tell me! The one you have. <laughs> and and it it makes so much sense to me because the lives we have are the lives we've built. Um. Maybe we haven't chosen everything, but they are the results of the causes and conditions that we have been part of, the choices we've made, uh, or things that have happened to us uh, that we may not have chosen. And it's the life that we have to practice in right now. Now, and, and, if, and if we're going to change from how we're living, uh, then that will happen through choices. But those choices will happen through awareness uh, of an orientation that we want to make in our lives. And so, so the lives we have are really perfect for our practice. We have everything we need to practice. Can I just add something if I may? A book that really brought that home for me in terms of and nothing to do with meditation was Man's Search for Meaning. I'm beginning to understand that I needed a purpose. Not just a goal or a desire. But a purpose. Yeah. That's what made my life more meaningful. Actually. Yes, that is so uh, important. Um, uh, the Dalai Lama said that to um, uh, the. I, I've been taking this program on uh, end of life care, mindfulness informed end of life care, and. Um, And the uh, teacher was talking about, um, I, I forget the, the framework, but it was a framework for um, uh, what, we, what we need uh, to, to be well and, uh, and at peace in our lives. And, um, and she, she had designed this and... The, and uh, she was in some kind of conversation with the Dalai Lama, and he, he said, you left out the purpose. We all need purpose. And, um, and that is very important, how, how we understand that purpose. Um, it could be awakening. It could be uh, awakening for the benefit of, of others. It could be serving those who are suffering. Uh, it could be 
learning, uh, learning about something that, you know, we really value. So, um, but this, this sense of meaning and purpose is, is, uh, it is a human need. So, thank you for adding that.